The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. My mother used to pull out the scene from time to time, especially when the house was a bit of a mess or especially when our bedrooms were a bit of a mess. She would walk into our rooms and our bedroom would be the pigsty, as it often was, and she would say something along the lines of, what do you think Queen Elizabeth would say if she came in and saw your room like this? Did anybody else's mum used to say that? I've always just looked at that. What if the Queen showed up? Just me? Okay, no, I, I, I can tell that I'm a bit of a weirdo then. That's fine. She would come in and she'd say, what if the Queen came over and saw your room like this? Now, that baffled me because I couldn't care less what Queen Elizabeth thought of my, my messy bedroom, let alone the fact that there's highly, doubt, highly doubtful that she was actually going to show up. And we learned down the track, actually, that my mother used to be told that by her mother, and so that was a very motivating thing for her. And so we at least knew in that moment that mum was serious, it's time to tidy the bedroom. Today's passage tells us of someone who is hosting a guest who is in their home who is far more significant than Queen Elizabeth. And just to give you a bit of a heads up on where we're going today and what we're looking at today, The main point of the sermon today is this. God loves you. And he wants the burdens that you carry to be placed upon his shoulders. Isn't that good news? God loves you. And he wants the burdens that you're carrying right now to be placed on his shoulders. He wants to bear our burdens. So just for some context, as we look at this passage, just for some context, this story begins with a very important, but, some, but sometimes an underrated introduction, which is, Luke brings us, brings us into the story by saying, while they were traveling. That's Jesus and his disciples, while they were traveling. Now, in Luke's gospel, that's a bit of a trigger phrase in that it's meant to trigger our minds to think of something bigger that is going on here. And that bigger thing is what theologians refer to as the travel narrative. It's this story how Jesus in Luke chapter 9 set his face to go towards Jerusalem. It says that he, he determined, he resolved, he was going to, towards Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem is where Jesus was going to be killed, where Jesus was going to be crucified. And so the idea of this travel narrative is that Jesus is intentionally going to Jerusalem. He's on his way there. He's fully in charge. He's fully aware of what's going to happen there. It's not an incident. It's not an accident. He was fully prepared to go to Jerusalem and die. It's kind of like when you're traveling somewhere. And you go to like maybe like the BP road. Maybe you're traveling down to Brisbane. Your destination is Brisbane, but you stop off at the BP Roadhouse. That's kind of what's going on here. We've got to understand this entry into this village and this story inside of Martha's house as along the way to something much bigger that is going on. Jesus was intentionally going to Jerusalem. And that tells us that this pit stop that he makes is not incidental. It's intentional. It's important. Jesus wants to be here today. Jesus wants to be in Martha's house that day. 
So Jesus enters this village and he's welcomed into a house by a woman named Martha. And we're told that her sister Mary was there too. And, and we don't know if Mary lived in that house with Martha or if she lived somewhere else. We're not told that. But what we are told is that Martha was very busy with the many tasks associated with hosting guests in her home. That can be stressful work. Like maybe at Christmas time you had people, lots of people in your house. Hosting people in your home can be stressful work. The house has to be cleaned and tidy. The table has to be set. The food needs to be prepped and cooked. The guests needed to be attended to. Drinks needed to be poured. This was no small thing. And we're told that in verse 40 that Martha was incredibly busy with her many tasks. And while she was incredibly busy, sweat on her brow, exacerbated by it all, her sister Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. Sitting at the feet of Jesus was where a disciple sat. It was a symbolic of saying, I'm listening to you, I'm hearing what you have to say. And that's the scene. It's, it feels tense, doesn't it? Like, I don't know if you've ever helped somebody move house or you've moved house yourself. When someone's come to help out and they are there and they are wanting to help out, but they're not lifting a finger. They're kind of walking around, kind of pushing things around with their toes, like kind of picking up things and putting things here. And you can tell everybody else around them knows full well that that, that, that person is not lifting a finger to help out. And if you've not experienced that before, maybe you were that person. Maybe you were the person who was experiencing that. That's the scene. It's really tense. And there's an important discourse that's about to take place here. And just to help us work our way through this text, we can, we can divide this discourse, we can divide this engagement here into three simple bite-sized chunks. So these are the three points of my sermon today. Firstly, what Martha got wrong. Secondly, what Martha got right. And thirdly, what Jesus has to say. What Martha got wrong. What Martha got right and what Jesus has to say. So firstly, what Martha got wrong. Now kids, if you're using um, these worksheets, you'll see that one of the questions is, what does Martha get wrong here? And the answer is on the screen behind me, or I'm about to say it as well. This is what Martha got wrong. Martha let herself be pulled away from what was most important. Martha let herself be pulled away from what was most important. If we read this story as a simple case of Martha being a more task-orientated kind of person and Mary being a more people-orientated kind of person, then I think we're going to dramatically miss the point. We're not looking at two different personality types here. It's not that Mary is lazy and Martha works hard and just wants someone to come and help her out. There's something far deeper, something far more complex going on here. And the reason why I think there is something far deeper and something far more complex going on is because of the language that is being used here. So in verse 40, Luke says that Martha was distracted. Now that distraction isn't just kind of looking away. That distract, that word distraction carries the sense of being dramatically pulled away from something important. Imagine um, a, a bit in a horse's mouth and the rider dramatically, very suddenly, pulling at the reins and pulling the horse's head away from the direction that the horse was going. That's the, the sense that this word carries here. And then in verse 41, Jesus, Jesus describes Martha's attitude. Jesus describes her as being anxious and upset. This is more than just she's a diligent person. This is a picture 
of anxiety and stress. Martha is stirred up. She's trying to hold it all together, but she's coming apart at the seams. See, Martha isn't just busy. Martha is threatened here. I would wager that most of us here know exactly what that feels like. I would wager that most of us know too well what it's like to be anxious and and worried and stirred up. Your sleep becomes shallower. Your diet becomes unhealthier. You you become irritable. You start to become short with those around you. It's like a garment being stretched by too much weight. The stitching is is coming apart. It's about to burst. There's this pressure on Martha, and it's coming from somewhere. Uh, last week, and actually yesterday morning, we watched it again. My family and I, we watched that new Disney movie, Encanto. It's pretty new, so I feel like I'm pretty up with the, the relevant things because it's a pretty new movie. But we watched it, and it's a story about pressure. It's a story about a, a family who has all this pressure on them and from all sorts of different angles. It's this pressure to be perfect, pressure to be strong, pressure to make the family proud, pressure like a drip, 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 never going to stop. It's this, these people feel this incredible pressure to, be, to have everything all together. What kind of pressure are you under right now? What's on your shoulders right now? What's causing you to lose sleep right now? What's causing you to prioritize other things than that is most, that what is most important right now? What goal are you bent on achieving and it's stressing you out? Whose approval are you trying to win right now and you're feeling threatened? For Martha, this pressure that she's feeling seems to be associated with her house and having people in her house. Now, hosting is no small thing. You have people over, you do your best to accommodate their needs, and they don't always treat your house with the same kind of care and respect that you do. That can be a stressful thing. But I doubt that that is all that's going on. It's far more complex than that. It seems as if Martha's sense of identity, her meaning in her life, who she is, is being founded upon something that she has to maintain herself. And now, that identity, that meaning, that is being threatened. She's anxious, and she's worried, and and this is what she's getting wrong She was allowing that anxiety, she was allowing that worry to pull her away from what was most important, which was sitting at the feet of Jesus. God is in her house. It's time for her to stop and listen. That's what she was getting wrong. She was allowing these other things that weren't as big as God to be bigger than God, and they were pulling her away. I say, I'd say that if anybody in that room then needed to be sitting by Jesus' feet, it was Martha. But her anxiety and her stress kept it away. Some of you here today, I know, from talking with you, I know you feel like you're coming apart at the seams. There's immense pressure on you to be perfect, to be strong, to have it all together. 
you feel the pressure of having to have all the answers all the time and to be seen as being wise and clever. You feel the pressure to not make a wrong decision and to be some kind of superhuman, and this pressure is making you anxious and worried. And if that's you, there is immense hope for you. There is so much hope for you here in this passage. And to see this hope, we've just got to look now at what the path is. And we see that in in what Martha got right. So kids, if you're trying to answer those questions, this is the second thing. What does Martha get right? She went to Jesus. What does Martha get right? She went to Jesus. We read this in verse 40. She comes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Now, I want to go easy on Martha this morning, but can we just for a moment look at the irony of that sentence? Look at how she begins the sentence and look at how she ends the sentence. She begins the sentence by saying, Lord, that's a title of respect and honor. That's that's the correct title to give to Jesus. But then she ends ends her sentence by making the command of Jesus. Lord, which means, Lord means, means you're in charge, but Lord, do what I say right now. Tell her to give me a hand. This is how a person who is coming apart at the seams speaks. They drift into the center of their own universe and applying the same high expectations that they have of themselves to everyone around them, they start making demands, even to the Lord of the universe. We we can't miss the sharpness of her tone here. That's important for us to, to recognize And I bet this is one of those, the room went silent moments. I bet all the conversations at that point stopped and all eyes went on Martha like, are you you serious? What did she just say to him? But what Martha does here is actually a really good thing. She asks, don't you care? Don't you care is an important question in the Gospels. When the disciples are out on a boat during a storm and Jesus is with them, they wake him up and they say, don't you care? When and Jesus tells a story of the prodigal son and the son returns from, from partying and he comes to his the father and the father throws a big party for his younger son, the older brother goes to the father and says to the father, don't you care? Don't you care is a question that disciples of Jesus ask Jesus when they're afraid, when they're confused, when they are exacerbated. Martha asks Jesus, don't you care? And that's what Martha gets right. If you could ask God that question, don't you care about... How would you finish that sentence? Lord... Don't you care about what's going on here? Don't you care about my kids? Lord, don't you care about my marriage? Lord, don't you care about my income? Lord, don't you care about our happiness? Lord, don't you care about my mental health? Don't you care about my physical health? 
How would you finish that sentence? Believe it or not, Jesus does care. And he cares in ways that are deeper than you and I could ever imagine. And we're going to look at that in just a few moments. So with sharpness in her tone and exhaustion in her eyes, Martha goes straight to Jesus with her complaint. And I think this is what she gets right. I think she's doing the right thing here. Because she could have instead talked about Jesus to the people around her. Like imagine if, this isn't what happened, but imagine somebody coming into the kitchen to put a plate on the bench and Martha sees her opportunity. Can you believe what's going on here? Here I am busting my guts. I'm I'm trying my, my very best to get this party happening. And Mary's in there sitting on the ground listening to Jesus' feet, not lifting a finger, and Jesus isn't doing anything about it. But she doesn't do that. She marches straight up to Jesus and she says to him exactly what is going on in her heart. You see, God knows exactly what is going on in your heart right now. And so it is only to your advantage that you be honest with God about how you're feeling. It's only to your advantage that you come to God and you open up and you're honest and you let him in. Because he already knows what's going on there. He can handle it when we come to him with pain-filled questions like, don't you care? In fact, we're instructed by Scripture to do such a thing. Look at Psalm 13 as an example. I'm reading from the CSB version here. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer me, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. That's honesty, right? That's openness with God, right? That's a, that's a prayer we should pray. You see, God wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants to have a relationship with us. And if we feel that what we've got to do is pretty up our prayers to make them sound like something that somebody else has prayed then we're actually going to miss out on the joy and the love and the peace that comes from having a relationship with God. We'll never know him as the God who gives us peace beyond understanding. See, when we worry, often what we're doing is we're dwelling on things that we can't always change and sometimes can never change. We dwell on those things. And so the opposite alternative to worrying is to actually open up to God and process our emotions in front of God and say to him things like, don't you care? True prayer is bringing our stresses and our worries and our concerns to God, opening up to God, unraveling in front of God, bringing our mess to him and entrusting him with our chaos. That's what prayer is. So, Lord, don't you care? The answer is, of course, 
yes. And we're going to see in Jesus' reply now just how much Jesus, is, Jesus does care. And this is what Jesus has to say. This is the third point. What does Jesus have to say? He says, give me your burdens. Give me your burdens. Now, it doesn't say that explicitly, but I'm gonna, I think I can make a case for that. See, the truth is that Jesus does care about Martha's predicament. In fact, Jesus cares even deeper for Martha than she wants him to. She comes to Jesus with a request to come and deal with the situation, deal with my problems. Jesus cares about her so much that he's going to be dealing with a deeper situation. You see, Martha wants him to care about her current uh, immediate predicament. But Jesus, as usual, cares about something far deeper. He cares about the problem underneath her problem. He cares so much about what she's going through that he's actually not going to resolve her urgent and, and immediate need that she has then and there. Because he wants to deal with her ultimate need. He wants to deal with the problem underneath that problem. There's something deeper and far more complex for Martha going on. And Jesus wants to address that far more than housework. He wants to address that far more than chores. See, I wonder what it would have been like if Jesus had actually responded to Martha in a way that she might have wanted him to respond. Like, imagine she came up to Jesus and says, don't you care? Can't you tell, her, tell Mary to lift a finger and help me out? Imagine if Jesus had said, oh, Martha, I am so sorry. I, I came in and I saw the mess, I saw the house, I saw you needed help, but then somebody asked me a question and I got distracted and then somebody offered me their, their seat and I couldn't say no because they insisted and they were already standing up and they weren't going to sit back down again, so I sat down and then somebody asked me another question and somebody else started listening and then it just kind of, it got away from me. But I am so sorry, Martha. Hey, Mary, let's go and give Martha a hand. Come on, what, what, Martha, how, what can we do to help out? That would have addressed Martha's immediate situation, would have addressed her immediate problem but it wouldn't have addressed her deeper need. And I think we could go even further with that. Upon entering the house, I don't think Jesus would have been oblivious to, what, to Martha's workload there. I think being the sovereign God that he is, he would have been fully aware of Martha's deep need. And it's interesting then that on his intentional trip to Jerusalem and his intentional stop to Martha's house, that Jesus sits down. And I wonder if that was intentional too, so that he could address Martha's deep need, not just help her out with her immediate need. You see, this is what our Savior Jesus Christ does. He addresses our deepest needs. Here's the thing, and, and some of you need to hear this today. Jesus doesn't carry band-aids. Jesus heals hearts. Jesus doesn't carry band-aids. Jesus heals hearts. He doesn't do what Martha wants him to do. He does what Martha needs him to do. And his response to her is aimed at that. Not at her immediate need, but at her ultimate need. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus' tone here, it's gentle, but it is intentional. This is what the repetition of her name indicates. 
It is a rebuke, no doubt. She, he is rebuking her, but it is a gentle rebuke. And, and this is the thing about when God rebukes us. Like when, if I've got a friend or someone in my life, if my wife rebukes me, I try my best to, to be teachable, to, to hear that if, what, how I need to. But when the Lord rebukes me, when the Holy Spirit comes in and starts to, to work on my heart and starts to say, hey, you need to sort this out, it's always gentle. But it's always a bullseye as well. He doesn't beat around the bush. It's always a bullseye straight to my heart. Jesus' tone is gentle and intentional. And he points to Mary then as the example of choosing the right thing to do, which was sitting by Jesus' feet and listening to his words. And the reason why that was the right thing to do, why that was the right choice, is because Martha was, doing what, Martha was doing what can be taken away from her, and Mary was doing something that could not be taken away from her. That's, Mary, that's Jesus' words there. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha is trying to do something for Jesus. She's trying to earn something for, from him. And that means that Jesus isn't truly her saviour. Her functional saviour is the thing that she's doing for Jesus. Do you understand that? If salvation is something that she has to win from Jesus, then salvation hinges not actually on Jesus, but on her ability to perform for Jesus. And that's where the pressure is coming from for Martha. And I think many of us are in that boat. We might not, not articulate it that way, but deep down, we know that we're trying to get approval or control or power or comfort from some other source. And we believe that the more we, if we do that, if we get that, then we'll be saved. And we're under an incredible load because if you think that way, if you think that you have to be a good person for Jesus to love you, if you think you have to be a good person and perform to be saved by God, then you always have to perform. And that is exhausting. That's the option that Martha is choosing, to perform. But the option that Mary has chosen is the opposite. So while Martha has chosen to do something for Jesus, Mary has chosen to receive something from Jesus. And what Mary receives from Jesus cannot be taken away from her. See, you might be under the false notion that being a Christian is doing your best to keep God happy. And if that's you, I want you to hear some good news today. You're wrong. And it is good news that you're wrong about that because that's not who our God is. Christianity is not doing your best to keep God happy. There's two reasons. Well, there's many, many reasons, but there's two clear ones here. Firstly, that's impossible. We, we can't. We, we, we fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. Not, there's not a single one of us that, is, that, is made, that has made themselves righteous in God's eyes. There's not a single one of us that has been able to earn salvation. We are all sinful people. We have sin in our hearts. That needs to be dealt with. We cannot make God happy by our works. That's why we need a Savior who is perfect. But then secondly, if that's what we believe about Jesus, then we've missed something crucial about who God is. If that's what faith is, then we've missed the point because there's no security in that. Our best falls far too short of God's, of God's standard and is also unsustainable. It can be taken away from us. 
if the foundation of God's love for you is based on what you can do for God, then you'll never experience God's love. If the foundation of God's love for you is what you can do for God, then you'll never experience God's love. This is what the Bible tells us is the good news of the gospel. If the foundation of God's love for you is what he, is what he has already done for you in Jesus Christ, then your experience of God's love depends not on something that is up to you, but on something that has already been done by Jesus Christ and is a historical reality. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to pay the debt that our sins incurred. Because our sins are what separated us from God, and that there, the separation from God, is the problem underneath the problem, underneath the problem of your life. Like, you might not agree with me on this, what I'm about to say here, but it's true. Your biggest problem right now, whether you believe it or not, is the sin that separates you from God. Now, I know that's a big call to make, particularly in our current climate, but your biggest problem right now is the sin in your heart that separates you from God. And Jesus Christ forgave that sin by dying on a cross to reconcile us with God. And we can be forgiven of the most heinous and hideous and embarrassing sins, and we can have a relationship with God because God loves us. And we can get so hung up on trying to be this perfect version of ourselves so that God might love us, but actually, we don't need to do that. God loves us despite our worst day. God loves us on our best day, and he loves us on our worst day. And if we get hung up on trying to perform from, for God, trying to have it all together for, for God, trying to have it all together to, to, to try and earn something that has been given to us as a free gift, we're going to be like Martha and we're going to miss out on God himself. What a wonderful thing for Jesus to stop and, and stop Martha in her tracks. Because he could have let her just keep, continue on that path. And then many years later, someone would have asked Martha, wait, you had Jesus in your house? You were with Jesus? What did he say? What happened? What could Martha have said? Oh, I don't know. I was too busy helping out. See, here's, here's what we need to do this morning. We need to come and sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what Jesus has to say to us. So what does that look like? What does it look like to make the right choice like Mary did? What does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? It means to rest in him amidst the turmoil of life. Life is turbulent. We all know this. It's especially turbulent right now. And to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching is to rest in his word. Rest in his true words. Rest in his final words, which were, it is finished. Rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Rest in the fact that because of the cross of Jesus, he has finished all the work necessary to reconcile us to God, which means that our greatest need, which is the separation that has been caused by our sin from God, has been settled and is finished. 
rest in the fact that God loves you. He really does. And I know there's some of us here who struggle to receive that. I'm one of them. When I hear God loves, God loves me, there's something in my heart that continues to try to resist that because I know the depth of my heart. But guess what? God, God knows the deeper parts of my heart. He knows the worst parts of me, and He loves me. He likes me. He loves you. God likes you. He wants to have a relationship with you. This is not a formality. This is an invitation. Rest in the fact that God loves you. He really does. Rest in the fact that if your faith is in Him, then you're going to heaven. That's good news, right? If your faith is in Jesus Christ, then that means that your future is not bound up by what happens here on earth in this moment. Your future is bound up by what has been achieved by Jesus Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, which we will experience with him, where there will be no pain, no suffering, no sorrow, no tears. Eternally, eternally, infinitely connected to the source of joy and life in exponentially growing joy for the rest of eternity. That's what is in your future if your faith is in Jesus Christ. Rest in that. Rest in it. Enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that heaven is in your future because that helps everything that's going to happen today be framed by what God is doing in this world. I don't know about you, but it is so easy to be bogged down right now. It is so easy to be bogged down by everything that is going on in the world right now. And some of us need to rest in the finished work of Christ because that means heaven. Some of us need to get our eyes on heaven. Rest in the fact that your worst sins, your very worst sins, which no one else here in this room know that, your very worst sins have been forgiven and they no longer define you. That is not who you are. If your faith is in Christ, then you are a child of God. You have been made righteous, and you are being made righteous. And there's going to come a day where that work is going to be completed, and you'll be just like Jesus, perfect, righteous, in heaven forever. So let's just get a bit more practical then. What does this actually look like? What can we do this week? What can we do even this afternoon? Well, let me point to something that Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. And cursing, I read this this week and it's been in my mind since. Philippians 4, chapter 6. Paul says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything... And there's a whole sermon on those two words. Don't worry about anything but in everything. Let's just consider the weight of... (laughs) How much weight is on the word everything? Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In other words, come to God with everything that is on your heart. And the peace of God, which surpasses all, All understanding, that's peace that exists in your heart and you have no idea where it came from and you have no idea why it's there, but it's there. Or you you know where it came from, but you have no idea how how you've got a peaceful heart at that point. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
So here's an idea, and here's, this is how we're going to finish up. Here's an idea this afternoon, for you to do this afternoon. Maybe as a married couple, maybe on your own, maybe with your kids. Here's an idea. Take the biggest problem that you're facing right now, and I do mean the biggest problem. It could be anything. Don't over-spiritualize it. Be practical. What's the biggest thing? What's the thing that's stre- what are you stressed about about this week that's coming? Take the biggest thing that is a problem you right now and get on your knees and say, Lord, don't you care? And then listen to the very important answer to that question. Yes, he really does care. He cares more than you and I could ever imagine in our wildest and most pleasant dreams. He cares and he's saying, your biggest problem is what I care about. And that's your sin. So come and put that on my shoulders. God loves us. And he wants us to put the burdens that we're carrying right now onto his shoulders. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.